Good morning, Cornerstone. How are you guys doing? Good to see you here. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just a quick little survey. How many of you parents are so glad fall break is almost over? Yes. And on another note, how many of you are so glad the Cardinals have a bye week this week? <laughs> Can't lose this week. That's the good news. So we're in a series called Guardrails that we started here three weeks ago. And if you've missed any of the weeks, let me just sort of fill in the blanks. Here, here's the idea. We all know how guardrails work on a highway around a sharp curve, um, uh, keeping us from some huge drop off or cliff or whatever. Guardrails are set not in the danger zone, but they're set in the safe area to give us a buffer, to keep us from getting in trouble, to keep us from going over the edge, to keep us from going around a sharp curve. We know how they work on roadways. The reality is God has offers for us throughout Scripture to establish guardrails in our lives that would prohibit us, keep us from going over the edge, going too far, going into areas of destruction, and to keep us in a safe area. We talked last week about the guardrails financially that keep those of us who are spenders from just spending, spending, spending and falling into that trap or the savers enough to, to get more, 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 more and more is never enough. We talked about the guardrail of, of give first, being the guardrail that, that we're designed for. Uh, we're talking next week, if you come back, we're talking next week about guardrails to help us fight lust. But today, very specifically, we're talking about guardrails in, our, in the area of friendships. We're talking about guardrails that will help keep us from, from not going into an area where our hearts are broken, where we feel betrayed, um, we've given ourselves to someone that, that just messed us up. Guardrails that allow us to not get five, ten years down the road and look back and say, how did I get here? Guardrails that enable us to have people close to us that help us become the men and the women that God has created us to be. And so we're gonna talk about those different kind of scenarios, but, but the basic idea uh, that, that we need to sort of talk about is, is this concept that you learned in middle school. You heard about it, you were warned about it. Your, your parents, your teachers, they wanted you to understand the concept of peer pressure. And they wanted you to understand that you need to be careful who you choose as your friends because your friends determine the direction of who you are or who you are becoming and what you will do in your life. And so probably even as I talk about this, you can have the name or the face of somebody that your parents said, stay away from that person. You can't hang out with so-and-so. And you may have a name or a face, and, the, and if you don't have a name or a face coming to mind, chances are you're that person <laughs> that your friend's parents warned them about. You will not play with them. But somehow, we graduated high school, we got into college, and the message, hey, be careful who your friends are, be careful who you hang out with, started to vanish. But my argument and my contention this morning is that conversation is just as important if you're in this room and you're 30, 40, 50 as it is if you're 15. Because your friends, no matter what your age, they influence who you are and who you are becoming and what you will do 
in your life. And here's my desire. My desire is not for you to get 10 years down the road and look back and say, man, I wish I'd have known these lessons ahead of time. I never imagined my life would be right here. And I'm hoping and praying that today you could put some guardrails up in your life that would keep you on the right track, keep you out of danger areas when it comes to relationships. So we're going to talk about a few of those scenarios um, and how they apply to us no matter what our age. Uh, this past week during fall break, my, my family went out of town uh, for a week. They, they were vacationing in the great state of Iowa. I say great state because two months of the year it is a great state. The rest of the year you would never want to live there. But they're there, they're hanging out. And, and so as, as the week goes on, like day one, I'm like, ah, oh, quiet house you know, little responsibility around the house. You know, I just let it get dirty until the day before Holly comes back and then clean it up. Just, just a bachelor living it up. Day two, I'm like, oh, it's so nice. It's just quiet, me and the stinky dog, and I just have to put up with him. Day three, I begin to say, you know what? It's a little too quiet. Day four, I'm starting to feel lonely and just, I'm ready for them to come back. Day five and six, and it's just like, okay, they've got to get back, calling them every hour, like, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? What are you doing now? And just wanting them to come back. So I had this, this taste of what we're talking about today, this idea of loneliness. So just real quick, be honest. How many of you have ever felt lonely before? The rest of you are lying. <laughs> so here's my question. You felt lonely before. So, so really, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you that you feel that way? And I think biblically, we, we can look and we can see, if you are feeling lonely, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. There's a God-given desire in you. You've been created and designed with a desire for relationships. Go back with me in your minds, if you've heard the story of Scripture before, to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God is creating everything that there is. He's creating, you know, the sun and the moon and the stars and, and earth and plants and animals and all that kind of stuff. And everything is absolutely perfect until Genesis chapter 3. And then we read the fall of man. Adam and Eve disobeyed. And as a result of that, sin and a curse came upon the whole entire earth. That doesn't happen until Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 1 and 2... Everything is perfect, and God is creating things, and God says, it's good. God creates something else. Oh, and it's good. And something else. For, for six days of work and creation, God sees things he makes, and he says, it is good. Everything is good except one thing. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable to him. So everything is good and everything is perfect in all of creation except for one thing, and that thing is it's not good that Adam should be alone. God saw this need, God recognized this need because God created this need in Adam. And so it's not good that Adam should be alone. But remember, he's in the garden. Everything is perfect still here in Genesis chapter 2. So the reality is the loneliness that Adam felt was not because Adam was imperfect. He was lonely because he was perfect, and he was created, designed for relationship. His, his desire and his loneliness was not because he was immature. It was because he was mature, and he needed relationship. 
Now, some of us are here, and, and, and there's a lot of people um, in different stages of life represented. And we're going to try to talk about a few of those different things. But there's some of you here who you are lonely. But you've almost given up on relationships because you've been hurt. And we'll talk about you in just a minute. There's some of you who, in your loneliness, you've tried to bring people or you've allowed people to come near you who are leading you in the wrong direction. There's some of us, we've been so lonely, we've just taken whoever would hang out with us, be with us. Not necessarily bad people, but we're not becoming who we believe God has created us to be. And then there's others, maybe you have some walls up and you're not letting the right people near you to help you be the you God created you to be. For those of you who maybe you've got some walls because you've been hurt, you've been betrayed, I understand what you're going through. How many of you, just I'm curious, how many of you have moved to Phoenix within like the last five years? Anybody? All right, so quite a few of us. Um, This is broader for everybody. How many of you have ever had somebody move from this area away that you were really close to? Have you experienced that already? All right, we moved here uh, just over three years ago. Very quickly, within like a month of being here, we found this family that we just absolutely connected with. I mean, literally, it was one of those things where we felt like this is an answer to prayer. They had three kids. We had three kids. We talked about our backgrounds and just our, our experiences and our upbringing were so similar that, that we were just connecting. They were from Canada. I was born and raised in the South. Because <laughs> the analogy didn't go all the way through. But, but it was an immediate connection. And we felt like God has put these people there in answer to prayer. They're in our lives. And there was an immediate bond. In three months, four months, they moved back to Canada. And we're like, what's going on with this? We begin to get close to another couple, and they had three kids, we had three kids. There's just an immediate connection again. Not too long after that, they moved away. There comes a time when you're just like, is it even worth trying to start new friendships? You have a tendency to do that. Throw in the mix for my family. Over two, you know, two and a half years ago almost, my daughter was diagnosed with a brain tumor and we're thrown into this world and we see the strain on on friendships and and relationships in general and and what that kind of stress and difficulty in life does. You see, you know, friends, even even good friends from old, they don't necessarily know how to reach out. They don't know how to communicate or what to say and, and you don't really know what you want or what you need. And there's just been this chaos of relationships and friendships, and not because anything, anyone's done anything wrong, but just because it's difficult. And there's a tendency within us sometimes to say, it's, it's better, it's easier just to put up walls. But can I just tell you, can I just warn you, can I ask you to put up a guardrail and say, even in the hurt, even in the pain, even when life is difficult, God has designed us in such a way we cannot flourish without friends. And even when there's a tendency to say it's just easier to build up a wall and and, and not let anybody in, I want to ask you to do this. Would you consider, if you're in here today and you're hurt, you're in here and you're going through a tough time, would you put up a guardrail that says, anytime I start heading to the place that says, I don't want, I don't need friends, I'm tired of the work and I'm tired of the pain, would you put up a guardrail that says, no, 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 
That's not an option because that just leads to isolation. That just leads to further frustration. That just leads me to be not who God created me to be. And not allow that to be an option, but to put up a guardrail that says, anytime I'm going down that path and I'm done with people, for me to say, no, no, I can't go there. I can't do that because as painful as this might be, being all alone is far, far worse. When I'm in those kind of moments, I get a, a, a lot of consolation from just thinking about Jesus. And you think about Jesus, and, and, and if you read the Gospels and you, you just get the, the story from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you, you see that Jesus had 12 disciples, so 12 apostles that, that were close to him that he spent the majority of his time with. He's, he's sharing his heart. He's sharing his life. He's teaching them. He's asking them at times, I just need to pray. Will you come away and pray with me? And he had these 12 guys he invested his life in. You see, even, even deeper than that, there were three guys, Peter, James, and John, that were sort of his inner circle, that, that he really would just take them at special times, whether it's up on the mount and, and reveal himself in the transfiguration or whether it's in the garden and he says, come away with me to pray, that there's an even more special place. But even the 12 and even the three often misunderstood Jesus, often let him down, eventually betrayed him, turned their, some of them turned their backs on him. In fear for their lives and in selfish motivation, they ran from him. Yet Jesus never says doing away with relationships, being done with people is an option because he knows, he lives, he modeled for us the great need that we all have for, for friends, for relationships. And so here's the deal. If you get to a place where you feel like you're done with people, if you get to the place where you want less friends, you just, you just don't want to deal with it anymore, you're not living like Jesus you're not living like Jesus because that's not an option. If you think I need less friends or it's just not worth the effort, you're less like Jesus. Because he said, even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of heartbreak, we've been created, designed for relationship. So if you're here and you're struggling in that area and your heart is broken and hurt, I'm not saying you dismiss that at all. But I'm saying, would you please put a guardrail up in your life that says, Shutting down myself away from people, building up walls to keep people away, that is not an option. No matter how much it hurts or how afraid I am, I will never flourish by myself with walls up. I need other people. Uh, let's look at another scenario. Turn to Proverbs chapter 13. And we're going to stay in Proverbs for a while, so if, if you have your Bibles, turn there and just hang out in Proverbs. Chapter 13, verse 20. And this is an interesting verse because this verse comes with a promise in the first half and a warning in the second half. This is what it says. He who walks with the wise grows wise. That's a promise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. So the promise is this. If you walk with wise people, you grow wise. 
The promise is if you open up yourself, if you spend time around wise people, even if you're not wise by yourself, if you hang out with them, if you live life, if you journey with them, parts of their wisdom rub off on you and you become a little more like them. You walk with the wise, you become wise. But there's a warning. A companion of fools will suffer harm. Now, fools in this passage, it it means this. A person who knows the right thing to do, but they either ignore it or they just reject it altogether because it's not how they want to live. And the word companion literally is a verb in Hebrew, and it, it means you're befriending, you're spending time, you're investing yourself into a fool. So the companion of fools will suffer harm. Even if you don't do what they do, if you're with them when they're doing it, you suffer harm. You're part of the the shrapnel of their lives when it messes up, when it blows up. And so there's a warning that says, you need to be careful in this area. You need to watch out for this. And here's why. The thing that makes friendship so great is the same thing that makes it so dangerous. And this is it. When somebody accepts you, you begin to open up to them. When somebody accepts you, you open up to be influenced by them. So if you are with the wise and you are being accepted by wise people, you begin to open up yourself to them. You begin to make yourself available to them. So if you're walking with wise people, their wisdom begins to influence you, begins to lead you in a certain direction. But if you're a companion of fools, they'll accept you as well. But as you begin to open yourself up because you're finding acceptance in them, you're opening up yourself to suffer harm, the Bible warns us. You have to watch out because the companion of fools will suffer harm. And the guardrail is this that I would like to ask you to to, to think about. To avoid being a companion of fools who suffers harm is this. Put up a guardrail. When you find yourself in a place where you are considering doing something you never thought you would do, stop. So here, here's the guardrail. The guardrail is not when you're, getting, when you're doing something that you shouldn't do, then you need to stop. It's too late. You've gone too far. You've already suffered harm. The guardrail is this. When you find yourself considering to do something, when you're thinking about, hmm, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know if that's right. When you begin to wrestle with that, struggle with that, your conscience begins to call you out on that. Stop right there before it's too late. Because if you begin to wrestle and if you begin to say, well, I, I don't know if I should do that. We've got a word for that. It's called compromise. And you're allowing your friends to lead you to be somebody you're not wanting to be and to do things you don't want to do. So I'm asking you to put that guardrail up to say, it doesn't matter if you're in high school or college, if you're a a young adult, if you're an older adult, you have colleagues, you have friends at school, you have neighbors, you have family members, you have all these people. If you're at a point in any of those relationships where you begin to think about doing something, that until that time has always been off limits, that's a guardrail to say, stop right there. Don't go any further. There should be warning lights going off to say, I can't do that. I can't go there. I can't even think about that. Some of you may be thinking, 
Well, well, all my friends, I think, fit the fool category more than the wisdom category. And, and, and I sort of liken myself to a missionary to the fools. I've ordained myself. I'm, I'm ministering. I love them. I'm doing that. I'm not, I'm not telling you don't do that. We know from the example of Jesus, Jesus was a friend of sinners. I'm not saying don't be a missionary. I'm not saying don't invest in those relationships. That's not really what this message is about. But this is what I am saying. You have to guard your heart. You have to be careful. Who, who are you influencing versus who is influencing you? And the truth of Scripture is the wise, the wise person grows wise by walking with the wise, but the companion of fool suffers harm. And I don't want you to have to experience that after it's too late. I would love you to set up guardrails to catch that in time. Let's look at another example, um, maybe just a page over Proverbs 12, verse 26. Proverbs 12, 26. A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, I love this, the words in this passage because it says the righteous man is cautious in friendship. It, it literally could be translated, the righteous choose their friends carefully. When it says the righteous are cautious in their friendships, the word cautious literally means this. It means to search, to explore. It, it, it refers to a reconnaissance. And so it's an investigation, not like you're doing background checks before you can be friends or in order to be my friend, you have to pass my credit check. But what it's saying is be careful who your friends are. Be careful who you let in. Be careful who you let influence you. Because the way of the wicked leads them astray. And here's this idea that, that is in the scripture that I don't know if you've ever had permission. But, but let me tell you, scripture give you, gives you permission. You can choose your friends. Your friends don't choose you. Your friends don't say, I want you to be my friend. It's not like the Facebook, you confirm or ignore the request. It's you can choose your friends. Have you ever had the experience of, of, of you're over at somebody's house for dinner, maybe you're hanging out, you're doing something, and you can tell they're really enjoying your company, but you're like, this person's crazy. <laughs> okay, there again, if you've never had that experience, you're the crazy person. <laughs> and they may say, I want you to be my best friend, and they slide a little note, will you be my friend, check yes or no. But you have the option, I don't want to be around this person. Now that's silly, but the truth of Scripture says the righteous person is cautious, is careful, makes a very deliberate selection on who they let close to them, who they let influence them. The Roman philosopher Cicero said this, the essence of friendship is not to look at each other, but to look at something in common. It's not, do you love me, but do you love the same truth? It's not look at each other and say, hey, how's our friendship? But look at something else that captures us both. If you are lonely and in need of friends, the worst thing you can do is to walk around looking for a friend, saying, will you be my friend? Will you be my friend? Instead, discover your passion, go after your joy, and then find someone who is doing the same thing. 
So here's the problem we make when we're lonely, when we're not choosing carefully our friends, we're looking around, hey, you want to be my friend? By proximity, we open up ourselves up to another person. But here's the definition that Cicero gives that I think is a biblical definition. It says, no, no, when you're looking for friends, here's, here's, here's a way to do it. Find, find something that you focus on that's not you, that's not another, that is bigger than you, that is worthy of your worship. Focus on that, adore that, worship that, and then look around and see who else is doing the same thing. Just, just this morning as I've been worshiping and sitting over here at two services and singing and, and just sort of thinking about this idea and watching you guys sing and worship together. I think that's, that's part of what coming together as a church is all about. It's, it's us saying, it's not about me, it's not about us, it is all about Jesus, him being honored, him being glorified. So we turn our attention on him, we find our identity, our foundation in who he is, and then we look around and we see who's doing the same thing. And we discover friendships in the midst of that. It's the stories that some of you guys have because you've been a part of, of something other than sitting in a, a row in a purple chair. You don't really make friends in a row in a purple chair. That's why we, we try to help as best we can. We offer environments like small groups where you don't sit in rows. You actually sit in circles in people's living rooms. You have to interact. We have small church classes down this hallway so you can get to know others. We have men's ministry things and women's ministry things so you can get to know each other, so you can find people who are looking towards the same thing that you are looking towards. Some of you have discovered great friends working in children's ministry because you've discovered similar passion as you're serving God by serving children. And here's the warning that I want to give to you out of, out of this idea. A guardrail I'll give first and then the warning. The guardrail is if you realize your core group of friends, if they're not focused on the same things that you think are important, it's time to stop and re-examine. If they don't value the same things you value, you need to stop. I'm not saying don't be their friend, but I'm saying stop and evaluate the influence they're having on your life. Because here's my fear. There's some of us here today that would say, well, you, you, you don't understand. My friends aren't fools. They're not wicked. They're, they're, they're not bad people. Now, they're really not doing anything good, but they're not bad. They're like neutral friends. They're neutral friends. And so your neutral friends that aren't going anywhere in life won't help you get to where God has called you either. And here's the thing, I, I'm asking you to put a guardrail up in your life to say, if you are being most influenced and the core group of friends that you have around you aren't helping you get to where God has called you to go, don't abandon them, but find another group of friends who can invest in you, who can challenge you, who can encourage and inspire you to be who God has called you to be, to accomplish the things that God has called you to do in life. Don't settle because it's safe, don't settle because it's what's easy. But surround yourself with some men. Surround yourself with some women that will challenge and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. Last verse, Proverbs chapter 27. One more scenario. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says this. As iron sharpens iron, 
So one man sharpens another. Literally in the, in the Hebrew it says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. This is what it means. If you have iron back in that day and you're trying to sharpen it and you have sort of, I don't even know what it's called, but the thing that you sharpen it with, and you have a sword. If you take the sword and you put the blade on it and you start rubbing it, all you do is what? Dull it even more. It has to be the right angle. The right, right angle and the right amount of friction is what sharpens the blade. The right angle and the right amount of friction sharpens. And just as iron sharpens iron, the scriptures tells us that the right friends around you, they don't cut, but the right angle and even the right amount of friction sometimes, they sharpen you. And it says sharpens the countenance of, of their friend. And this is what it literally means. In the presence of, before the face of, when you're around them, when you're having conversations, when you're with them, you sharpen each other. You want to make each other Become the person that God has created you to be. And we need those kind of people. We've been designed for those kind of relationships in our lives. The, the guardrail I want to I ask you to consider putting up is this. When you start thinking you figured it out, you've got there all by yourself, you don't need anybody else. When you start thinking, I don't need to let anybody too close, I'm asking you to put a guardrail up in your life because... When you start saying, I, I, I've got it together, I figured it out, I'm doing really well all by myself. Paul tells us in Corinthians, for the person who thinks he stands up, watch out lest he fall. The person who thinks you've got it together, the, think, the person who thinks you figured it out, you don't need anybody else, be careful, you're getting ready to trip. So I'm asking you to put a guardrail up that says, no, no, anytime I start headed in that direction, anytime I think I'm letting people too close to me, to put up a guardrail and say, no, no, I need people to come close to me. I need like iron sharpens iron, people who come into my life and help me be a better me. A few years ago, we were living in Chicago and I hadn't seen my best friend in some time. And he came to town and, and we went to this, uh, my favorite Thai restaurant and it was unbelievable, chicken pad thai. Makes me hungry just thinking about it. And we're, we're just hanging out and talking about sports and the weather. And just a little bit into the conversation, he looks at me and he says, hey man, how's your marriage? Like, how are things between you and Holly? How's your walk with, with God going? Like, or how's your prayer life? And, and my initial response was, who do you think you are? Stay out of my business. Just kidding. I received that as probably one of the most loving things he could do for me because he cared enough to risk saying the hard things, asking the hard questions. He cared enough to say, I want to know how you're doing and I want to help you if there's any way that I can help you. We've been, we had been a couple years or actually a year into this journey with Kate and, and we had you know, because of her health and because just of things going on with chemotherapy, she couldn't be around a lot of people. So we had secluded ourselves from a lot of relationships just to not expose her to sickness and stuff. But there came sort of a moment in my, in my life about a year ago where I just realized I've put up too many walls. I've not let people in close enough. I've not got the iron that sharpens iron. And so I started meeting with this, 
this older man, very godly man named Gary. And uh, you can call it accountability, you can call it whatever, but Gary and I started meeting once a week or once every two weeks, and he can ask me anything and I can ask him anything. And I can pour out my heart and pour out my faults and my failures and know he's not going to look at me any differently, but know he's also going to love me enough to probe, to hold me accountable, and to be there. And I'll be honest, there's some Thursdays when I'm like, you know what, (laughs) I could do something else. But there's never a Thursday that I drive away saying, oh, I wish I would have been somewhere else. Because I've found the value of iron sharpens iron again. And he has sharpened me. And, And here's the reality. That's the way God has designed us. Not to live alone. Not to be who he has created us to be all by ourselves. It happens in community. And any, any work of God in your life, any, any direction that you may take in life, it doesn't happen in a vacuum, you all by yourself. God puts people around you. God put, puts friends around you to speak into your life, to affirm and to confirm what God is doing in your life. And we need to open up our eyes and our ears and listen and see that they are a blessing that God has for us. And some of us today probably need to pray and ask God, to bring those kind of friends into our lives, but also to open us up so that we would be receptive to those kind of people in our lives. The reality, though, is this. Uh, Finding the right friends is probably just as much about being the right friend as it is anything else. And sometimes we're looking for somebody to to come and be the the man that sharpens us or the woman that sharpens us if you're a woman. But but the first thing we have to ask is, am I being the the right friend myself? Am I being the friend to others that I want to have for myself? But there's a real big problem in that. And I don't know if you know this, but on your row sitting today, there's a bunch of messed up people up here with a microphone is a messed up person. And and us trying to be friends all by ourselves doesn't really work out that well because we hurt other people as much as they hurt us. And we let them down as much as they let us down. And so I'm not saying finding a friend is the the be-all solution for everything, but I'm saying this. It's rooted in something that's so profound and so significant. If we could just get a hold of it, it would revolutionize our lives. And it's this. We are standing on the foundation of Jesus Christ together. And together in him, we can do anything he calls us to do. We can look around and say, but I messed up. I can't be the friend or I don't have the friends. That's not where I want us to look today. In closing, I want you to look here. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, Jesus describes an element of friendship by saying this. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The greatest demonstration of love is is not what's in this for me, but how can I help you? Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. This is Jesus talking to us. You are my friends if you do what I command. What what he's talking about here is relationship with 
God, friendship with Jesus Christ. He says, you're my friends if you do what I command. Well, what does he command? What, what is it he's asking for? We would have to go back to verse 12. If you have your Bibles, you can look at it. But he says this, my command is this, love each other just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you with the same kind of love that, that Christ has shown, with the, the motivating factor of our hearts being worship of him, understanding who we are in him. That's how he loved us that we can then love each other. Because what happens is, even though we're messed up, even though we've got crooked lives, Jesus says, if you come to me and you find forgiveness and hope and peace and rescue, and that's your primary identity, and you're looking to him, then as his love begins to flow in us and pour out of us, we can love others just as he loved us. And my call today to you is this. Would you see in Jesus, the perfect friend, willing to lay down his life for you, willing to give himself for you. Would you receive his love? And then, would you go and love others as he has loved you? That is an offer that he provides to any one of us who will believe to receive his love. Allow him to wash away all of our sin. Allow him to break every chain that, that holds us in bondage to be the men and the women that he has called us to be, to understand who we are is first of all in him, to understand what we're to do is first of all honor him in everything we do and love other people as he has loved us. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for the truth of scripture and we thank you that this call to be a friend, this call for friendship is not based on who we are and what we can do. It's based on who you are a relational God. You are Father and you are Son. You are friend. And you have done so much for us in dying on a cross for us, in creating us in your image, God. And I pray today that we would recognize our need for friends. I pray today we would recognize that by ourselves we cannot be who you have created us to be. I pray that some of us today would open up our hearts. We've built walls, God. I pray you would tear them down and help us to open our hearts and that you would bring friends around us to bring wisdom, to bring life. There's some of us who we've been influenced in the wrong direction. With the peer pressure of people around us, we've begun to make compromises. And I pray today, God, we would put up a guardrail in our lives to protect us from going any further. God, there's some of us today that we just desperately need the friends who value the things we value to come alongside of us. We need to carefully select and prayerfully allow you to bring the right people in our lives. And God, we just acknowledge we need these relationships and we, we ask you to bring them to us. But more than anything, God, we ask for your love to fill our hearts. To know you and to, to fall in love with you. And that as we experience your love, we could go and love others. In Jesus' name, amen.